Good morning. Um, Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your, love is also, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness is desiring it, in, in desiring it may be matched by your completing, completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Thank you uh, to everyone who has led us thus far in the uh, service. Now you'll see on the screen um, a slide for our forthcoming uh, church uh, meeting. Notice the change of date. It's on the 17th of January, the Tuesday and not the Monday. We're just trying to be conscious of the number of commitments people have, and Tuesday is a better day for that. We'll combine it with the church prayer meeting. There are three areas we'll look at on the 17th. Firstly, evangelism. How can we best use this building for the good of the community? Second, serving, encouraging and enabling one another to serve using the gifts God has given us. And thirdly, giving financially to Chalmers for the work of the gospel. And all of that committed to the Lord in prayer. We depend on him and his grace in each of these and every area of discipleship. Indeed, in everything and for everything, we depend um, on the Lord. Thank you, Liam. Now, if you've been coming along to Chalmers, I'm aware that there might be some people who are new uh, today. If you've been coming along to Chalmers through December, you will have received a notification that we face as a church a challenging financial situation in two ways. One, a deficit in the current financial year that we need to fund. And secondly, the need to raise the level of our monthly giving in order to maintain, not to expand, but to maintain current levels of ministry output. And at the half past six service, we've been working through two Corinthians, and we've reached chapters eight and nine. And these two chapters, two Corinthians eight and nine, 
are perhaps the key New Testament teaching on giving. And I want you, as we have, to take a great deal of confidence in God's providence. The planning of the series was a long time back, and it has coincided in God's timing with the situation we find ourselves in. The only thing we have done is to swap Corinthians from the evening, Hebrews from the morning for these three weeks to allow as many people as possible in the morning services to hear God's word on this subject. And so for three Sundays beginning today at 9.30 and 11.30, I'm going to help us to work through these chapters to listen to God as he speaks through his word on this matter. Uh, About uh, 60 comments thereabouts have been shared with me as to how we should approach the subject of giving at this particular juncture, all of which are helpful, and the more dialogue that we have, the better informed we will be. But there is one voice above all else that we need to hear, and that is God from his word. And these chapters will inspire us, encourage us, make us laugh, move us, and raise our affections for the Lord uh, Jesus. But let's pray to that end. Our loving Heavenly Father, we trust in you absolutely. We depend on you in and for everything. We love you. We love your word. And we pray that together as a church, we would listen attentively as you speak to us and heed what you say and respond in joyful, wholehearted, trusting obedience. Help me to teach your word rightly, applying it sensibly and sensitively. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now please have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, page 967. And if you could also have sight of the notes on the back of the service sheet. Now on Wednesday past, when we met together as a staff team to work on the Bible passage, we began by reading all of chapters 8 and 9. And you might find it helpful to do that later today. Amy Conway, one of our leaders in training, stole the show with this comment. She doesn't know I'm going to say this. Having read these two chapters, she said, this Bible teaching on giving is so moving. And what a helpful and instructive observation that was. It is wonderfully moving. And it will make us laugh at times, smile, raise our affections for the Lord Jesus and the work of his gospel. Who would have thought that the subject of giving would raise our affections for Jesus in the way it will? The answer to that question, of course, is is God, the Lord. Now, 2 Corinthians, heading one on the letter, is about authentic ministry. And Paul explains what authentic ministry is through the letter, its content, character, and purpose. And in particular, Paul has sought to defend his apostolic ministry, which is not the kind of most popular ministry in town, in content, style, and manner, and all the rest of it. And he has sought to defend it and to commend it as the other apostles. And now in chapters 8 and 9, Paul turns to the subject of giving. 
And in doing so, he is not changing focus. That's really important. And it benefits us to study these chapters of giving in context. He's still speaking about authentic ministry, normal, authentic ministry. And the teaching on giving in this letter is just authentic ministry. It's normal stuff. And more particularly, what is said in the Bible about giving helps us understand what authenticity looks like in this particular area. Now, there is much to learn in these chapters in a general sense about giving. But Paul is also writing in relation to a specific situation that it's helpful for us to take heed of. Just notice the reference in our passage in verse 4b, where Paul refers to the relief of the saints. Let me read to you from the end of 1 Corinthians. This is from chapter 16, verse 1, the letter that precedes this to the same church. Now concerning, this is 1 Corinthians 16, 1, the collection for the saints, and that's a phrase that means the same as the relief of the saints, as I directed (coughs) the churches in Galatia, so you also are to do. And Paul, with all his authority as an apostle and as the founding pastor of many churches, had encouraged the churches in Galatia, in Macedonia and Achaia. We know that he had encouraged the churches in Macedonia and Achaia from the reference in 2 Corinthians 8, also in Romans 15, verse 26, and the church in Corinth. In other words, he'd encouraged a whole lot of churches that he had an association with to give money to support the church in Jerusalem where there was real financial hardship. And that's the specific situation he is talking about. Now, what can we learn from this as a church? Three things. One, that we have a responsibility as a church, collectively and corporately, to give a good deal of the money that is given to this church for stuff that goes on outside this church. That's the first thing. Secondly, when the New Testament talks about a church partnering externally, it normally, not always, but normally, and in the vast majority of occasions, speaks about that church partnering with other local churches. Not always, though. I mean, sometimes we are to support, for example, itinerant missionaries, like the Apostle Paul was supported. But normally, the link is between a church and other local churches. And the reason for that is God's primary plan, his plan A for the spread of his gospel, is through local churches. So partner with other local churches. Not exclusively, but as uh, your main focus. Now, do we do that? We're going to kind of turn the lens of the letter on what we do. We've got to do that. Well, we have tried to refocus our support of global and national partners to people who have a living and a life connection with local churches. And just to say that we referred to some of our partners earlier, Freddie did in his prayer. If you're new to Chalmers, um, 
please contact the church office and we'll give you information so you know who they are, you know their names, their families. We just can't disclose their names publicly on YouTube. All of our partners have a living, strong connection with the local church. Many are training leaders for local churches. And our big ministry, I guess, in relation to the church in this country, is training and sending gospel workers through the ministry associate and leader in training program. So a lot of our giving ends up with people going away or other churches being supported. And it is a big financial commitment. So currently we support 10 gospel partners and and train 10 gospel workers. That's 20 people. That's a lot. It's a big burden financially. And we want to keep doing that. And of course, costs go up. And we want to keep doing that to maintain these current levels of ministry output. We're pretty close to max, I think, in terms of how much ministry we can do in these areas. But we want to maintain that level of quality. Now, a final comment on the specific situation here. Yes, it's an encouragement to to look beyond the walls of your own church with the giving that you give and what what can we do as a church to support others in significant ways to make sure that is linked to local churches. But one more comment, and let me read to you from Romans 15, 26, one of the relevant verses on this specific issue. Paul writes there, for Macedonia and Achaia have been, that's the same reference as in 2 Corinthians 8, 1, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints. Something that has vexed us as a church, certainly vexed me, uh, particularly as um, we see Andy and Kyrene and Charleston as a church develop in one of the housing schemes in Dundee. For those of you who are new, Andy was a long-term here, he trained here, and we are their close partner church in Charleston. And what has vexed us is the burden, what is our responsibility for and commitment to the poor? The Bible has a great deal to say about that. What is the best thing we can do? Here are, um, here are three things to mull. Number one, not to beat ourselves up over who we are and where we are. Um, when I walked home from church last night, I passed, I had no money, but I spoke to five homeless people begging on the street between here and the bottom of the road. Secondly, to think how we can use this building. One idea that we have stumbled upon, a church in Edinburgh runs something called soul food. Basically, you provide a hot meal once a week. People come and there's a gospel talk at the end of it. Can we do that? Who will come? Who will come is who will come. And I suspect and pray and hope that people who come will come with needs. Thirdly, more positively, most positively, train and send out... They're all positive. I didn't mean to say that. Train and send out gospel workers to serve and plant churches among the poor. 
in places like Charleston. And if a church like Charleston turns to us as our closest gospel partner, and I think they will do that in the course of the next 12 months again, and say, we need your financial support, we make that top priority because they have no money. None. And then to send out and support mission partners around the world, including in the poorest places and the poorest countries. And if they turn to us, like those in West Africa, in some of the the poorest countries in the world, and say the local church that they are part of has an acute financial need, we make that a top priority because we have much and they have nothing. Now, I hope that's helpful um, in relation to the specific situation in Corinth. Paul encouraging these churches to support the church in Jerusalem. And the way that we apply that is we need to to ensure that a lot of the money that's given here finds its way either going out or people going out. That's really important. Secondly, partnership with other local churches is key. And thirdly, that attentiveness to uh, the poor. Now, let's focus on the general teaching on giving in these chapters. Three points on the sheet. Number one, the example of the Macedonian churches, verses 1 to 8. Uh, Verses 1 to 8 are about uh, the example of churches in Macedonia. They are Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And you can read about them in Acts and in the letters of the New Testament. Now, Paul is not against commending particular churches as examples to follow. Uh, I read uh, in one commentary this week, the Apostle Paul is encouraging healthy gospel competition. He's doing nothing of the sort. He's not encouraging competition. But reputation matters. A reputation for what? For authenticity. Uh, That's not a bad thing. It can be an example, inspiration, and encouragement to others. At Charmers, we often look to. I've just told you about a church that we're looking at at the moment, running something called Soul Food. I think it's perfectly right to look and learn from others. It's good to do. And we'll do that at the church meeting. We'll ask you to share thoughts and ideas and perhaps lead on some of this. Because when we talk about starting a ministry like that, we don't have anyone to do it. It'll need to be owned and resourced from people who are not currently stretched beyond their capacity. A reputation for authentic ministry is not a bad thing per se, with one massive caveat, is who you listen to for the gauge of that reputation. And that's critical. And who do we listen to? Who do we assess whether or not there is authenticity What matters is the reputation of Chalmers in the eyes of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean to say it doesn't match up with what other people think. And we've got to listen to wise people. We've got to listen to one another. But most of all, we need to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something wonderfully liberating uh, addressing a subject like money at a sensitive time economically and financially that we find ourselves in. And we have to face up to that to turn to God's word and Jesus' voice. Now, let's just refresh our memories of verses 1 to 5, example of the churches in Macedonia 
and then pick out some helpful uh, observations. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, each of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Notice a number of things. In the first place, what they had been enabled to do. Enabled to do by the grace of God. And their response is because they have been converted. The gospel has changed them. If this room was full of people who weren't Christians and we spoke on the subject of money, there would be a wholly different reaction to speaking among Christians. Christian conversion changes us in every way. Christian conversion makes us selfless and willing to give up, to use the words of Jim Elliot, what we cannot keep, to gain what we cannot lose. Now, Christian conversion does not simply change our attitude or perspective. And that's really important. It changes us from within. It is supernatural what happened in that church in Macedonia to enable them to respond to that need. No amount of words or answers to questions or statistics or pie charts, no amount of words other than the words of God in the Bible because they are used by the Holy Spirit in the realm of grace, will move us. God is going to. Enabled by the grace of God, notice in the second place, there are circumstances, verse 2, just a clock, the oddity of this description. For in a severe test of affliction, in other words, this was the wrong time. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Just that doesn't make any sense at all as a statement, does it? They had enough to worry about in terms of their own circumstances. And if you read about the churches in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, you will know that that is true. And yet by God's grace, the amazing supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in them yielded in a severe test of affliction, abundance of joy that overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And Amy, of course, is spot on. The Bible teaching here is wonderfully moving. Moving in the sense that the same Holy Spirit that inspired them and that coincided their circumstances with joy 
and generosity and impossibility and God moving among them, it brings a smile to your face and to your heart. And uh, I think it's wonderful that the example church on giving is a church that was experiencing extreme poverty. Because what that meant is what they actually gave was diddly squat, nothing. I mean, they would have given, but in real material terms, they wouldn't have given very much, couldn't have very much. And immediately we see what matters. It's not the amount we give. It's, and we'll get on to this more practically in a minute, according to their means, it's that they give with the right attitude of heart and soul. When uh, Norman, our chair of our finance committee, speaks in the church meeting, one of the things he will say is that the range of giving in Chalmers, and only very few people are aware of who gives what. He will say that there are people giving £20 a month and there are people giving £2,000 a month. That whole range. And he will say again and again and again that in the eyes of God, if £20 is given because that is an expression of someone's need and the joy of their heart and generosity, that in God's sight is multiplied spiritually in exactly the same way. It is right. It's why the examples in the Bible are topsy-turvy. The poor widow who gave from what she had, i.e. nothing. The woman who anointed Jesus at Bethany. The woman who makes it into the Bible at the start of Passion Week. All she had was a jar of alabaster oil to break on the head of the Lord Jesus. The most powerful statistic in terms of giving in Chalmers' life was back in 2015 when we bought this building and we asked the whole congregation to pledge the congregation that was there then and obviously many have come since and there were 216 I think pledges from giving units or households that means every single person in the church and that is far far healthier than the whole thing being buttressed by 10 or 20 people but it is in the sense that some people will give a lot because they can but everybody participating And one of the most encouraging statistics, and I'm only aware of the broad statistics, that encourages us that we are addressing this in God's time, is that a significant number, maybe even as much as 40% of people in the Chalmers Church family are not yet giving. And that is not, I think, in my heart, a discipleship issue or a cause for concern. I just think it's because, and I used this example before, If I wasn't married to Sally, I wouldn't know anything about what's going on. I don't actually know much anyway financially, but I just would, it would take me ages just to do the practicalities to sort that stuff out. It's a discipleship issue, a heart issue, if in two months' time there's been no change. But I don't for a minute think that there's a lack of desire to do what God asks in our hearts as a church. We just got to see it through and we'll get to that at the end of uh, it, it is we trust that it's God's uh, timing now here's here's the practical third they gave according to their means that's what it says 
Verse 3, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. What's required of us is to give according to our means. All of us have means, some means. Whether we work, whether we don't work, all of us have some means. And that is true, and therefore all of us can share in the grace of giving, and share in the grace of serving, and share in the grace of giving our time for the work of the gospel. And let me repeat again, means does not mean a certain amount. It is what we have, we share. That's what's required of us. And the bit beyond that, sometimes God gives us the liberty and the desire and the opportunity to give beyond our means. A good example of that, let me give you two real examples. Somebody in the church way back received a legacy of £100,000 and there was a need in Chalmers at that point for £100,000 to support some of our gospel partners around the world. And they decided that they, this had come into their lives unexpectedly, so they just gave it, just like that. That's an example, I think, of, of that. And, and somebody doing exactly the same thing with a, a, a gift they received of £1,000. They said, well, I just don't need it. There's a need there, and boom, it goes. And if God is so burdening us to give at a certain time of our life, my full expectation is that that's exactly the kind of providential stuff in the web that he will be weaving. They gave according to their means, some beyond. And then, um, and I've tried to wrap this up in a simple heading, uh, they gave joyfully, wholeheartedly, with loving, genuine, trusting uh, obedience. Uh, nowhere in the world, other than in the word of God and in the hearts of Christians, would people beg to give to the work of Jesus. That's why it's so moving. And then, fifth and finally, um, and we'll, we'll speak much more about this next week in, in, in some marvelous stuff in the middle of this uh, section of Corinthians um, about doing things well and properly and in good order. Uh, excellence in giving. Um, and that embraces all sorts of practical things like filling in gifted forms, doing things well and properly, carefully. A church not knowing what people give apart from very few people. Excellence in giving, that's Jesus' words to his apostles. Read it in verse 7 with me. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And you see, just when you get to the point where you flirt with this sounding like an exhortation or a command, Paul says, no, I'm telling you to excel, but I'm telling you to excel by letting the Holy Spirit that is in you flood out in your generosity. It's always grace. The example of the Macedonian churches, let me summarize and apply. Uh, Their circumstances said, now is not the right time. Likewise, ours do too. Except that this has come at this time and we can't avoid that. There is plenty of evidence, and this will become clear to us over the weeks ahead, that we have every reason to trust in God's timing and his, the rightness of what he's doing. They gave according to their means. Are we? Am I? Please, God, help me to do that. Some gave beyond their means. God, may that be me. 
their joyful, wholehearted, loving, genuine, trusting obedience. How attractive and inspiring that is. Pray that, that, that charmers in this season of challenge with giving and serving and so on and so forth will experience an unusual sense of joy in our singing, in our speaking, in our corporate life. See that you excel in this act of grace. Will you so help me, Lord? And Lord Jesus, the grace that enabled these churches to respond, will you grant that to us? The example of the Macedonian churches, and then the last two points really quickly, um, as we'll return to them uh, in subsequent weeks, uh, supremely the inspiration of the Lord Jesus. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become uh, rich. Famous verse that we sang as a carol at Christmas. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, for our sake becamest poor. I didn't know then, or I've been reminded now, that that was taken straight out of the Bible's teaching on giving. Jesus is not our example any more than that church in Macedonia is our example. They are our inspiration because their experience supernaturally can be our experience. And Jesus is our inspiration because he's in us. And therefore, his attitude, his life, his decisions can be ours supernaturally. Though he was rich, yet for your sake and mine he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Jesus was rich in heaven. He was the son of God, the eternal God. When he came to earth, he became poor materially. He did become poor materially. He laid aside his majesty. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself. He gave up. He had nowhere to lay his head. And God exalted him. And he is back in heaven with a crown on his head. The richest king of kings. Rich in eternity, poor on earth. Now, I think what the apostle has given us here, he's fusing sensible, practical stuff. Give according to your means. And we come back to that in a minute at the end. Give according to your means. With this little bit in the middle. Give everything. Just... Give your whole life or be willing to give everything for Jesus. Now back to the sensible bit. And, and don't, don't see these as mixed messages. There's just, there's a balance in the Bible that we need to weigh and think through. The application to the Corinthians is wonderfully practical Verses 10 to 15 is do what you said you would do. Let me just cash that out in a practical way. Many of us here are members of the church. Some of us as members of the church are not giving yet. And I don't think it's a discipleship issue. I think it's just a practical thing. Some of us are not giving according to what the Bible says. So for example, I remember as a young adult... Uh, that uh, my uh, salary when I worked as an accountant started quite low and every time you passed an exam it went up and then it went up and it went up 
And uh, it usually took me about a year to catch up with the bit when it went up. And really biblically, and this is what we'll get to next week, is just two things. Well, every time there's a change, you'll reflect that in our giving. It's just practical help, simple stuff. But many of us, well, all of us who are members, stood before God and said, I promise to give a fitting proportion of my time and my talents and my money for the work of the gospel in this church and beyond. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians Verse 10, and in this matter I give my judgment, this befits you about a year ago, and started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. In other words, you stood up, Corinthian church, and said, I promise, we promise to give a fitting proportion of our time and our talents and our money for the work of the gospel and support these churches in Jerusalem. And Paul now says, so now finish doing it, see through in what you said, just do it, put it in order. And when I come, have it all ready in bags, and I'll uh, take it to Jerusalem. And there's something wonderfully practical and I can see lots of you smiling and you think you know God really does know what he's doing when he speaks to us from his word on this most sensitive of subjects again the reminder to give according to your means verse 12 for the readiness is there it is acceptable according to what a person has not in according to what he does not have so this is as relevant to our undergraduate students as to our employed people to our retired people to some of our teenagers is relevant to us all and then finally fairness in giving he's another topsy-turvy comment in the bible for i do not mean verse 13 that others should be eased and you burdened but that is a matter of fairness your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness as it is written Whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little has no lack. And what this is saying is that those who have more physically will give more because that's according to their means. So when, and this is one of the mistakes I made in the rhetoric in December, when you say that 80% of a church's giving is given from 20% of the people, that's accurate and biblical and right in terms of real money terms. 80% of the giving will come from 20% because 20% will have a lot more means. But this is what you want to be saying. 80% of the church's giving will come from 20% of the congregation, but 100% of the congregation is giving according to their means. And it all works out perfectly. And God leads you behind a gospel vision that's sensible. And when everyone gets their hearts behind that and does what the Bible says, the books always uh, balance. So let's trust God. Trust his timing. And uh, uh, be open to obedience with our bank accounts. But also open to this being a time of rich and bountiful joy. And smiling. And pleasure in God. As a church family. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this uh, moving teaching. Amy was right. And uh, it is moving and it's inspiring and it's helpful. Help us to listen and respond appropriately and to take great pleasure in seeing you at work among us. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.